come on in. You can chat after church. Would you turn to Romans? And I'm going to be looking specifically at chapter 6 and 7 today. So you can kind of keep your fingers there if they kind of flop pages for you. Uh, I want to ask you a question as we start out. Now, again, that's with this in mind, that over these last few weeks, we have been building a case for grace, line upon line, precept upon precept. Uh, We've been talking about what grace means to us. So I want to ask you a question. It's this. Should we as Christians still have anything to do with the law at all? Should we as Christians still have anything to do with the law at all. And I think for many of us, that's a dilemma. A a question that we don't know what the right answer is, so we're not going to call it out. And yet, Paul makes some clear statements about this. Listen to this. Paul is in chapter 6, verse 14 of Romans. He says this, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Of course, you have to then take some time and consider what does Paul mean when he talks about not being under the law? Does that mean like not being under a doctor's care or not being under the weather? What does Paul mean? In previous weeks, we've looked at a couple of things. We've looked at the righteousness of grace, and then the last time I spoke, we looked at the immutability of grace. Today, I want to talk to you about the marriage of grace. That's the title of my message, The Marriage of Grace. Um, If you've been in church for any length of time at all, you probably have heard it said at some point in time that we, the church, are the bride of Christ. In fact, in Revelation 19, we're waiting for that marriage supper of the Lamb in which the bride, which is the church, is married to the bridegroom, which is Christ. But did you know that you were already married before? And I don't mean you were married to the devil, although I think some of you think that at times. I'm talking about the fact that Paul tells us you were married to the law. That's what he tells us. Look at Romans 7. Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law. The law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. And then Paul gives us this kind of everyday example to help us understand how that relates to us. Verse 2. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law so that she is no longer an adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, my sisters, you also have become dead to the law. How? How did that happen? Through the body of Christ. Why? That you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Now, according to the Old Testament law, 
when two people married, it was till death do them part. And the only God-approved way for them to marry someone else was as if one of the spouses died. Paul says here in Romans 7, we were all married to the law. Therefore, the only way we could marry somebody else was one of us had to die. And in our case, we are the one who died. So, I want us to very quickly look at what kind of husband our previous husband was in comparison to this new husband that we are being married to. So, what kind of husband was the law? Was the law kind? Was it gracious? Was it merciful? Was it um, nice? What kind of husband was the law? Well, I want to suggest a few things to you. Number one, the law is the kind of husband who always tells you that you're doing things wrong. He tells you the right and wrong, but honestly, if we're honest, it's almost always wrong. He says, you did that wrong, and you did that wrong. And, well, that's not 100% wrong, but it's not perfect either, so that doesn't count. Because you know that perfection is the only thing that counts for the law. That's what it's like to be married to the law. I don't know, by the way, it's been suggested that if you've been married for a long time, you start to look like your spouse. Have you heard that? So my question is this. Do you look at all like your old husband? The law? Because you were married to the law prior to Christ. Uh, Do you find that fault-finding and being critical, uh, judgmental, and demanding are part of the warp and woof of your being? And is that because you started to look a lot like your former husband? Romans 7 says that you're married to the law as long as you both shall live. And then Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, the law will never die. He says not even one jot or tittle. Now, jot and a tittle, for those of you that might not know it, are kind of like Greek kind of pronunciation aids, like a comma or like a a apostrophe. He says, not even one of those little hash marks is going to pass away from the law until it is completely fulfilled. So the law doesn't die. But Paul tells us we can die. And he takes us back to Romans 6. Look at Romans 6, verse 3. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death. You see, whether you realized it or not at the time, the way we all got saved is we all had to die. You can't be saved. You can't be born again. You can't be a Christian if you did not first die. You die to yourself, you died to your own selfishness, you died to sin, and you died to the law. Since I am now in Jesus, and we looked at it a couple weeks ago when I took my own card that had my name on it, and I put it in the Bible. My card represented my life, the Bible represented Jesus, and the Scripture says God put us into Jesus. So since I am in Jesus, when Jesus died, I died. When Jesus was buried, I was buried. And when Jesus was raised, I was raised. 
I died. I died to my former spouse, who was not the kind of husband that anybody wanted to be married to. He was an exacting, demanding spouse. Number two, second thing about the law. You can never be justified by the law before God. The law can never justify you. can never make you right. Paul tells us in Romans 3, verse 20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, by doing the works of the law, no flesh, no human being, will be justified in his sight. And then, just up a few verses, Romans 3.28. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Now, in Paul's day, there were people who were going around saying things like this. We believe the gospel that Paul is preaching. We believe that people are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus alone. But, if you want to grow in God, you got to keep the law a little bit. you got to get better and better at this law thing. If you want to be mature and spiritual, you have to keep the law. And my question is, is it possible? Is it possible that some of us have picked up some of that same mentality? That we know we're saved by grace but we think we're kept by our own good works. By working hard, you know, by reading your Bible, by praying, by witnessing to people, by coming to church, by putting money in the offering, we believe that those things somehow make us better before God. Paul, in answer to that, says in Galatians 3, Galatians 3.1, Oh, foolish Galatians. And if he were talking to us, he would say, Oh, foolish family life church people. Who has bewitched you? that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. By the way, there's a whole lot of commentators who believe that when Paul came to Galatia and began to preach the gospel, it was like God did a miracle and put a screen behind Paul as he was preaching and they could see Jesus crucified. That's how strong the wording that Paul uses here is. But in verse 2 he says this, Okay, are we back on now, Tiny? All right, you're a good man. Verse 2 again. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Have you begun in the Spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? 
Paul was horrified at the idea. He's saying, who cast a spell over you? Who tricked you? How can you even believe that you could receive salvation by grace, but now you think you mature and grow by doing the works of the law? Now, why, why do we do this kind of thing? Well, I was thinking about this talking to a friend on, um, I think it was Thursday this week for breakfast, I met with him. I was thinking about this. Karen and I uh, got married uh, back in 1980. She was 21 years old. She was just 21 years old by four days, by the way. Uh, she was 21 years old. I was 22 years old. We've now been married for 41 and almost a half years. We've been together. I, I want you to get this in your mind. We have been together longer now than we were before we were together. Right? Okay. Even though we've been married for longer, I've been married to her longer than I was without her, I was still married to the law a long time. I picked up some of those traits. So that now, even though we've been married almost twice as long as we weren't married, when Karen says some things or looks at me a certain way, it, it's like a flashback for me. I can see my dad saying, you're an idiot. You'll never do anything right. You're not even wanted here. I can hear my mom's disapproval in her voice. You're a disappointment to our family. Now, I'm not saying she said that. She didn't. I'm not even saying she meant that. She probably didn't. She could have. I don't know. But I am saying to you this. The problem for us is we were married to the law for a good long time before we came to Christ. And we still, unfortunately, think a lot like the law because we lived with him for so long. In the same way, I want to say to you, uh, I got used to hearing from the law all about how, how it wasn't just that I did wrong, it's that I was wrong. The law doesn't just point out you're wrong, this, 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 and this. The law leaves you feeling like I'm bad. There's something genetically wrong inside of me. My DNA has been twisted. And that's how I feel often. And so even though I'm married to Christ now, I often still feel like it's hard to receive love from Him. Because I still remember the law telling me how bad I was. How I never did anything right. And I think some of you do the same kind of thing. And when that happens, the temptation is to try to prove that I actually am better than that. And do good. Do more works. I mean, think about it. Be honest. If you get up today and you're feeling good about life, you know, you woke up from a good dream. In the dream, you were preaching the gospel to somebody and they got saved. Thousands got saved. Maybe you don't have those dreams, but I do. You were preaching the gospel. You had a good day. You wake up. You feel really good inside. And you, you get up first thing. You, you make your coffee. And you sit down and say, I'm feeling real good about life. I better have my good devotions here. You read the devotions and you feel like God meets with you. And you are actually nice to your spouse and nice to your kids and you go to work. You didn't speed on the way to work. There's something inside of us that feels a little bit better about God that day. We feel like I'm a little bit closer to Him. Things are doing well. But what that means is in that moment we're doing the same thing the Galatians were. We are thinking that somehow the works of keeping the law, doing good deeds, makes us in a better position with God. Another problem we have is that uh, too many times we either say it or model 
that yes, you're saved by grace, but if you really want to grow up a lot, you better start doing more good stuff. Let me give you this example. Uh, years ago, my wife and I were actually candidating for a church in Pennsylvania. Doesn't matter where. Um, we candidated, and I preached in church that day. And again, I've been preaching for some time now, never claimed to be any great preacher or anything like that, but I was doing my best. And I came to this church in Pennsylvania and we're preaching. And I'm telling you the truth. While I was preaching, people in the congregation, and it was a congregation probably about maybe twice the size, in the congregation, people were standing up and clapping and cheering while I was preaching. It was a good day. I mean, I thought like, whoa, I can do this. I get all done, and elders, three elders, wanted to meet with me, and so they asked Karen to take the kids and to go to somebody else's house and have lunch and wait for me. They were going to grill me on my theology and on my way of life. And they did for about three hours. It came to a head. I mean, I was getting honest. I, I confess, I was getting a little bit frustrated because I'm thinking, you know, you could have had me write a paper or something instead of doing this, but either way came to a head when one of the elders said, well, let me ask you this theological question. He says, okay. He says, what if I, at my age, I'm in my 80s now. In my 80s, I've lived for Christ all my life. I was raised in a Christian home. I grew up in a Christian home. I came to Christ at an early age. I got married. I have children. I've lived for Christ all my life. But tomorrow morning, I go out of the doors of my house. I get in my car and I go down and I pick up a prostitute. And while we're having relations, I have a heart attack and die, I need to know, will I go to heaven or not? Now, i got to admit, I was carnal enough that inside I was thinking, I sure hope not. <laughs> but this was a man who was married to the law and to grace. And I think that's the danger point for many of us. We have been saved by grace, but we still live a bit under the law. And part of the reason why I've wanted to preach this series is that I'm hoping that you and I can begin to get this more. Not just mentally, but we can experience more of God's grace. Um, if you boil it all down, what we do in those moments is we're trying to please our new husband by having good relations with our old husband. And that won't work in the natural, and it won't work in the spirit either. Paul says this, in 2 Corinthians 11.2, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, Christ. In Exodus, in the Old Testament, even in the Old Testament, Moses said this, For you shall worship no other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. God's not willing for you to be married to somebody else at the same time that you're married to Him. He is grace personified. And so we have been married to grace. Number three, the third thing I want you to understand about the law is that the law can't empower you. The law can't help you to do right or keep you from doing wrong. It can only point those things out. Romans 7.4 says this, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead. Why did he do that? so that we should bear fruit to God. Now let me word it this way if I can. Your former husband, the law, was impotent. Could sire no children that could bring forth life and goodness. 
Um, it's like when I was younger, my parents used to say, I picked up things quickly. I picked up things like other people's money, other people's toys, other people's stuff. I stole. I felt like we didn't have much. We were a poor family. And I did. I did. I stole. I stole a lot. But I don't steal now. And you might say, well, Pastor Chris, why is it that you used to steal and you don't steal now? And I could say, well, I was reading the Bible one day and I saw in the Old Testament that God says don't steal. And that was enough for me. I just needed information. Once I got the information, I quit stealing. Is that how it works for you? How many of you can admit that you know far more than what you actually do? Right? I already knew I shouldn't steal. So when I read the words, thou shalt not steal, all that meant was I got better at hiding it. But then one day, I met Jesus. I mean, I met Jesus. I don't mean I read the Bible. I don't mean I went to church. I mean, I met Jesus. I encountered God in a way I had never known before. I found things out about God that I never knew could be possibly true because it seemed too good to be true, but it was true. I found out that he actually loved me, that he put his eye upon me before I was even born. And he said, I choose you. I want you on my team. You remember those days when you used to have to pick up teams and you always dreaded being possibly the last one picked? Jesus said, no, I picked you first. Before everybody else, I picked you. Oh, I also picked them first, too, because God can pick everybody first. God can have all kinds of favorites, and I'm one of them. It changed my life. And I got to a point where it's no longer that I had to hide my stealing. I got to a point where I said, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to live like that. I want to walk in a way that pleases this one who loves me so much. And I don't do it in order to earn his pleasure because he's already given his pleasure. I do it just because I love him. And I found his grace helped me to change from the inside out. Paul says in Galatians 2.21, great verse, by the way, I refuse to set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. If you think you're going to be righteous by doing righteous things, you don't need Jesus anymore. Because you're earning your own righteousness. But in order to be righteous, you have to be 100% righteous. And you know and I know you're not. And neither am I. Again, I want to say, I said this last time I preached, and I, I realized I, in preaching a series like this, you could believe that I am saying to you the law is bad. And the law is not bad at all. The law is good. The law is a reflection of God's perfection, of his character. But there is somebody who's not good, and his name is Satan, who loves to twist the law even inside of our own hearts and make it something that is onerous rather than something that we have hope in, God's great love for us. Paul says in Romans 7, 6, But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, our marriage to the law, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter of the law. He says we have been delivered. In the Greek, that word means discharged. It's a military term that is used for when a soldier has been discharged from the military and can leave. So think about it this way. Here, here's this guy who comes to boot camp. 
And there's that drill sergeant. And he gets in his face and he screams at him. He tells him when he has to get up. When he goes to bed, he tells him how to brush his teeth, how to comb his hair. And you don't comb your hair because you have no hair. He tells him everything. And he says, Uncle Sam owns you. You're his. And he serves out his tour of duty. And then he's discharged honorably. And he's making his way to the gate. And as he's walking in civvies now, He's walking towards the gate. He hears that same drill sergeant before him saying, Soldiers, attention! And without even thinking, he stops and comes to attention. And then a smile hits his face. And all of a sudden he realizes, I'm not under the law anymore. I've been discharged. And that's what Paul's saying to us. You've been discharged from having to please the law. From having to be perfect. Doing everything right. You've been discharged. So stop giving the law your attention. The fourth point and final point is, very th- is this. What the law cannot do, love can do. God alone can justify. God alone can empower. And the way he does it is through the law. But it's the law of love. There are some Christians who would suggest to me, and I've talked to them, they would say, if you preach messages like this, you're giving people a license to sin. And I want to suggest to you, if you ever encounter real grace, if you ever start walking with real grace, it will be the farthest thing from your thinking. You don't want to sin. You want to be free of all of that so that you can walk in the love of God. When you live under real, life-changing grace, you have less desire to sin, and you find that God changes you far more from the inside out, rather than from uh, some kind of rule keeping you in line. The law can't empower you or hold you steady in life. Only grace can. And the story of Hosea is a wonderful example of that. I was looking at that earlier this week. God comes to Hosea, a prophet, a holy man, comes to Hosea and says, I want you to go and I want you to take a wife from among the prostitutes. So Hosea went down and he picked out a lady by the name of Gomer. Don't know why her name was Gomer, but maybe back in the day, Gomer was a girl's name. I don't know. But he picks out Gomer, and he brings her home, and he marries her. And she runs away and goes back to her former lovers. And God says, go and get her. And so Hosea gets her, and he brings her home, and he continues to love her, to honor her, to speak kindness over her, and she runs away again. And God again says, go and get her. So Hosea goes and gets her and does it again. Over time, because of the kindness and love that Hosea shows to Gomer, she decides to stay with him and bears him children. That's the nature of grace. No longer being held by our old lovers, the law. Now being held by grace itself. I think about it this way. If I told Karen, uh, I've been thinking about it a lot lately, Karen, and I want you to know, that I'm choosing to stay married to you. I checked the law out, and the law says that uh, you could divorce me if I don't behave. So uh, I know that if you divorce me, it means I would be left alone. And who would cook for me? Who would clean my house and take care of me? So I want you to know, you can feel comfortable in this. I'm going to stay with you. (laughs) Doesn't that make her feel warm and fuzzy inside? Doesn't that make her feel safe and secure? 
What if instead I said, Karen, 41 years ago, I said I do. And I want you to know, I didn't know what I was saying. But I mean it a whole lot more now. We've been together for all this time. We've grown up together. The truth is, we didn't just grow up together. You actually have helped me to grow up and become a better man. I thought I loved you back then, but I'm coming to understand what love is really about. And I want you to know I love you with all of my heart, and I look forward to us growing older together, sitting side by side in our rocking chairs, holding hands, holding books. Got to have books. And we're going to live out our days together. Which husband do you think she would pick? Number one or number two? Well, I think Jesus says the same thing to us. He's kind and he's gracious and he's merciful. He says, which, which husband do you want? One or two? We're governed by something stronger than the law. We are governed. We are held by love. Song of Solomon says this. Set me as a seal upon your heart. Talking about love. As a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death. Jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire. A most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Nor can floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. In other words, Solomon's saying is once you've tasted love, the nicest things this world can offer you are to be despised. They're worth nothing in comparison to love and the love that God has for us. Love is the strongest force in the universe, which is why the scripture says God is love. God doesn't just love. God is love. James says mercy triumphs over judgment. And that's true. Absolutely. But I want to suggest to you that love conquers all. Love conquers our souls. Uh, if you have changed at all as a person, as a human being, if you have changed from what you used to be to what you are now, I can guarantee you it's not because you got to know the law better. It's because you have encountered God along the way. Love changes us, not the law. That's what it means to be married to grace. The scripture says the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's good news. Would you stand with me? I've said it to you probably ad nauseum. But we go out and we talk to people. I go down to Bud's and I sit at the table and I talk to these guys who all gather every morning. And they actually have shifts, I have found out. You know, Some are there at uh, 5.30 and they're ready to go. And then they leave and others come in and you have to kind of go through the different shifts. But I can guarantee you this. When I talk to them about God, I'm not saying to them, you guys are a bunch of no good scoundrel sinners. I tell them, and I'll tell them often, you need to know God's not like you think. God actually likes you. So much so that he gave his very lifeblood for you. That's good news, that he loves you. He's not angry at you. He's not looking for you to blow it so that he can show what a jerk you are. He actually loves and likes you. And I tell them that. 
And they're funny. They'll say, well, you're, you're like our, our answer man now. You're, you're, you're the truth teller among us. Uh, well, I just don't get busy telling the stories you guys tell, which I'm not even sure which ones of them are right. In fact, I'll tell them often. I, say, I use you guys in my sermons. And they'll say, okay, we better make sure we're careful today because we're going to be in a sermon on Sunday. So you tell them they were in the sermon on Sunday. But these are good men who God loves in the same way that he loves you. That's good news. They need a Savior. But it's fortunate that we actually know a Savior who loves to save to the uttermost. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I pray that you would take this word beyond all of the lack and inability that I might have, but that you would blow upon this word and cause it to be life and health, strength and hope to each heart. I bless these, my friends, your people, in the name of Christ. Cause your face to shine upon them. Be gracious unto them. Lord, that's even Old Testament. Be gracious unto them. Lift up your countenance upon them and give them peace, both now and forevermore. I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Don't forget, by the way, next Sunday is our Harvest Food Giveaway. So if you haven't brought those things in that you've committed to, please do it. And when you bring them in, you're supposed to put a check in a little circle that's right next to that line to let us know that you've brought yours in, okay? So please do it. And remember, come next Sunday ready to serve down at the park.